You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. All right, so before we kind of jump into today, I wanted to just kind of give you guys a little bit of a rundown for what you can expect the next couple weeks, because here we are. It is December, which I kind of cannot believe. But that just is, so many people are doing so many things. For me in December, what this looks like is I take a little bit of some time off. Can you all see the air quotes? Off. Yeah. What that means is that I'm going to take a slight break from the podcast so that I can focus on writing some upcoming studies that are going to come out. Are you ready for this? Fall of 22. That's how far out we're needing to get these things rolling. So I'm going to be working on some of those things. And so I will not be here in the closet quite as much. However, I am going to try to pop in and do at least one episode somewhere here in December. So make sure you've subscribed so that that still pops into your feed. And also, I would just encourage you to to maybe catch up on some that you've missed, maybe share one with someone, maybe one of these hit you. And we always want to get the scripture out as much as we possibly can. So maybe share it with a friend. I don't know if you have those friends that you can talk about the word with. I so enjoy my friendships that, yep, there's the fluff and you can talk about, you know, your favorite coffee and, you know, all of those fun things, but then kind of get into the meat of things sometimes and be able to encourage each other. I also, for those of you, if you're married, when's the last time you talk to your husband about, you know, what you're doing in your own personal devotions, or maybe something you heard on the podcast, this one or another, a sermon or something, but just to be able to talk with your husband about the word, get his thoughts and maybe ask him questions about things that maybe challenged you or it's uh, such a great thing that the Lord gave us within our marriages to be able to use the skills, the abilities that the Lord enabled each of us with. So obviously, it's my job here that I talk about a whole bunch of things about the Bible all the time. So my husband is quite used to me coming to him and going, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And, you know, we have a lot of these conversations. And so I feel a little bit spoiled because I get to probably have more of those than maybe other people take the time to do. But I'm telling you, it's great. So take advantage of that if you ha- if you haven't done that at some point. It's a kind of a good reminder. Definitely good to do for those of you guys that are married. What I want to talk about today, it might sound a little strange at first because I want to talk about normal. I want to talk about normal. So does that sound boring? Well, I'm betting actually that it doesn't sound boring to most of us. I'm including myself in this. And maybe we even get a little bit nostalgic sort of looking back onto the normalcy seasons. Maybe we look back at those times when things just seem to be normal. And we look at those even with maybe some contentment. and, And we often, we have a tendency anyway to look back at the good old days as way more, probably better than they actually were. But I think in our season right now, we've heard this word kind of tossed around a lot. Sometimes I think normal, it might feel monotonous, sure. You know, it might just be the day in and day out of whatever, you know, your drill is. But I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it kind of feels like more and more people are sort of craving and almost sort of striving for normal right now because things haven't felt very normal in pretty much every facet. We've kind of had a whole lot of life turned upside down in the last two years. But normal, I sort of think, has become kind of a goal. And I wonder if this is something that we need to be careful to not make normalcy the goal and almost be guarded against making sure it even doesn't become an idol, that it's, you know, everything for the sake of normalcy. We want things to be normal. So remember when we used to hear things like 
this is the new normal. And if you're like me, you might just cringe even hearing that phrase, the new normal. We didn't want to hear the new normal. We didn't want a new normal. We wanted the old normal. And we really didn't like it if people just kept said, well, you know, just accept this. This is just kind of the new normal. This is just the way it is. And I vividly remember the moment when we first started lockdowns here in Oregon. So how long ago is that taking us back? I don't know, early 2020. The years are starting to roll together. But early 2020-ish, when we did our first lockdown, no one had ever done anything like that. And I remember going for a walk and it just kind of hitting me for some reason right in that moment of going, wow, things are actually not ever going to be quite the same as they were before. And I'm I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but I wonder if, if some of you guys kind of felt that too. It just, there was sort of this sense that things had just changed. And man, my life was going to be different the way I did certain things. I mean, I still to this day go to the grocery store differently <laughs> than I did two years ago. Life for my kids was going to be different. I mean, I just had this sense and it's turned out to be, you know, quite true as we've kind of played out these last couple of years, that life was just going to be really different. And so what was normal? Okay, well, we kind of cringe and we didn't want to say the whole new normal thing. But what was it? What was this going to be now? Sometimes striving towards normal has also looked like maybe just wishing, hoping for whatever trial or illness that we're sitting in right now, that we just wish it could go back to how it used to be. We just want to be normal. And, you know, maybe we've even asked that. Maybe we've even said that to other people is, I just want to be normal. I just want it to go back to normal. So I've heard this a lot. Obviously, we've heard this that term a ton in the last couple of years. But for some reason, this week, as I have been thinking about this, the Lord just kind of hit me with a couple of things. And I always want us here on the podcast, but it really just is just my own personal goal of whenever I hear something and I'm kind of marinating on it, kind of going, huh, what do I think about this? I want to know what the word says about it. That's what we want to do. We want to be women that are devoted to God's word, that we are always, whether even it's something as silly as a word like normal, what, what do we think about normal? What does scripture think about that? How should we view that? So what is normal? What is normal? Well, it's changed over the years, for sure. You know, even if I go back to my favorite Webster 1828 dictionary, the online one that I love so much, you can't even really look that word up because even the word, the definition itself has changed. Because back then, normal, he was referring to a square or a rule, like a, a perpendicular forming of a right angle. That used to be what normal meant. It did have the connotation to of according to a rule or a principle. It says that also. But the number one definition was it was referring to a right angle. So that's not probably what you are thinking of when you hear the word normal. I know I wasn't. So if you think of more of what our modern definitions of normal would be, let me give you some of the definitions that dictionary.com, which I told you on, on one podcast that we ought to be zapped every time we do that. Well, I was kind of kidding, right? We we I'm just uh, we want to be paying attention to what our definitions are. But our modern definition of normal, it says conforming to the standard or a common type. Usual, not abnormal, okay? Serving or to establish a standard, okay? Sounds all pretty normal. See, we use it again. Psychology-wise, they define the word normal as approximately average. Average in intelligence, average in personality or emotional adjustment. And also free from any mental disorder. That is consistent with the term normal. If it's in biology, and these are all listed underneath, if you just Google and you look up dictionary.com and you type in normal, these all appear. 
in biology, it says that normal is free from any infection or other form of disease. Well, these kind of like hit me a little bit as you're seeing this, because we can sort of look at the things that we strive towards on normal right now. And you can kind of see how each of those, boy, we do want to be free from infection or disease. We would love that kind of normal, right? We do want to be free from any mental disorder. Depression and anxiety is at all time highs right now. Not whether it's the calls that we get at the church of people that are wanting prayer and are wanting biblical counsel, or you want to go and just Google up statistics on what it looks like right now in a, whether you want to call this a post-COVID world or whatever it is, but depression and anxiety is huge right now. So those types of things, we, to be normal, quote unquote, is to be free from all of those things. So you hear that and it's, well, of course, we want to be away from that. We don't want that. And so our natural human proclivity is we want to be comfortable. And I don't mean that in a condescending way, meaning we don't want to suffer, right? That's not wrong to not be looking for ways to be in pain or suffering or having trial of some kind. So that's probably why we use the word normal so much is because we don't like to suffer. Of course we don't. We usually think that we'd like just a little less excitement or drama until you've been in lockdown for two weeks, right? And then you run out of closets to clean and you're thinking, okay, maybe we do need a little bit more of a busy sports schedule or maybe we do need a little bit more of this. But typically our human nature in general is to be whatever it is we have right now, we kind of want what's on the other side of the fence. You know, the grass is always greener on the other other side, whether it's things we look back upon or whether it's things we're looking forward to. But it's we struggle as humans to just be content in our situation. I love Paul's words in Philippians 4, 12 through 13, when he says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in, in plenty or in want. And then he goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's one we've talked about before that that's usually taken a little bit out of context because what he's actually talking about, what that verse is, is giving him, what he's directing it towards is that we can be content in everything. But that's not typically where we live, right? We kind of live in this place that we want something different than where we are right now. So what I'm asking myself, what I'm asking you to for us to think through and biblically kind of look at this, but what should normal look like? What should normal be our goal? Maybe that's the question. Should normal be our goal? And as we look to scripture, I sit here and I think, okay, who in scripture had a normal life. And I know I'm in my closet. I'm using my air quotes a lot around normal, but you can't see that. So just imagine that pretty much every time I say normal, because I don't know how we necessarily would define this. But who in scripture looks normal or average? Remember, that was one of our definitions there. Who in scripture looks average or in the physical sense? Who is in the scripture is free from infection or disease or in the psychological definition that we saw, mentally normal, free from any mental illness or any kind of struggle in that capacity? So if that's our working definition of normal, who in the Bible that you can think of really fits that bill? And I struggle. I really struggled to come up with someone. You think back in the Old Testament and you think of Noah. How was Noah's life normal? I mean, look at the things that he was depicting. He had a very, the world had fallen into sin. He's given instructions by God to build an ark, which he didn't even know what an ark would have been. That's absolutely abnormal. They didn't even really know what rain would have been. And yet he is being told that he needs to build this ark for a flood. Hmm. That's all odd. 
I wouldn't describe Noah's life as normal. Or how about David? You know, David, we see him as a shepherd. We see him as a giant killer. We see him as a king. But you also see in the Psalms quite a bit that he was somebody that really struggled with depression. Remember in Psalm 43, 5, where it says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? David struggled. David's someone that I'm pretty sure if he lived in 2020, he would have been on antidepressant. We would have just leveled him right off because he was classic case for depression. I also love, can't leave this out because the end of that verse in 43, 5, he finishes it off and he says, hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David, the Psalms are so instructive on how we battle with depression. So David, not super normal. No, not super normal. I also was thinking about the exiles. Okay, so you have the Jewish people who had been living what maybe they felt like was their pretty normal life in Israel. And their world gets turned upside down. They get taken off into captivity. And in it's in Jeremiah, they talk about kind of the Lord gives them instructions for what the exile should be. But that couldn't have felt normal. A totally different culture, a totally different a way of living in all ways. When you read Daniel, you know, remember it even talked about the food was different. I mean, not, nothing was the same. So you can't really look at the exiles and say, well, their life depicted normal. I think of Job. I'm actually reading Job right now. I'm, I started my reading plan over. I always like to stay reading through the Bible on a regular basis, regardless of anything else I study. I, even if I take it at a snail's pace, I always like to kind of be trucking through the whole counsel of God's word. And so I recently started over, which started me in Genesis and then quickly took me into Job. And so I'm kind of sitting in Job a little bit right now. Maybe that's why some of this about normalcy came up. But you look at this guy's life who had everything, his normal seemed to be in blessing and surplus and family and wealth and all of those things. And then everything is taken away. Everything is taken away from Job. And reading that account of how what he goes through is actually interesting. And I think sometimes we can really relate to where Job is sitting, but I wouldn't call Job normal. Or how about there's some Old Testament, think New Testament, the disciples life. They went from Maybe their normal jobs, whether that was a tax collector or maybe they were fishermen, the different roles that they played, just their vocations. And then Jesus comes and their life's totally different, right? How do you define what kind of normal that looked like? And especially after Jesus rose from the dead and he had ascended, then their mission life and their spreading the gospel, they endured immense struggle. They had so many trials. They had prison. They were beaten. They were, I mean, the list is long what happened to the hardships that the disciples faced. So if that kind of hardship was normal for them, I doubt many of us would have been signing up for that. Paul's another example of that, right? And really, ultimately, Jesus, you think about that. Would we look at Jesus as that's a picture of what normal? Now, we look to Jesus that we say, wow, that's our goal, and we want to imitate Christ. We want to walk as he walked and and all of those things. So, But if that's the aim, I don't know that that coincides necessarily with this ambiguous term we seem to have of normal. So find me someone, someone, some life in Scripture that was normal, free from struggle, or just average. It really doesn't happen much. And so it's left me kind of thinking, I'm just not sure that normal, new or otherwise, should be or is the goal at all. Like I'm trying to challenge myself to sort of take this even out of my vocabulary of striving for something that's normal. 
I think this will take some intention. I think it makes it so we have to kind of take our thoughts captive so we don't gravitate towards, let's just be done with this. A few years back, I was thinking I was in, I had gotten a stress fracture. I told the story at, I think it was the John study. And I had gotten a stress fracture and I had to be in one of those big old boots for like six weeks. And if you've ever been in them, they are just awful, right? I was so done with that boot. It was in the middle of summer. It was super hot, kind of messes up your back because, you know, you're walking not totally level. And I did not love the boot. So all I'm thinking about is, okay, I cannot wait till the like the day that my six weeks is up and I am ditching that boot. So sure enough, that's what I did. Came on to the day that it had been six weeks and I took that thing off and I just walked around and did life normal. I was like, yep, I'm done. Okay, really bad idea. So in my hurry to get back to normal and just go back to what my life was prior without the silly boot, I kind of forgot that the doctor had actually said some things of like, oh, well, actually, when you hit six weeks, you're supposed to take it off for one hour for the day and do that for a couple of days. And then you take it off for two hours and it would be more of a gradual sort of ridding myself of the boot. Well, since I was in such a hurry to get back to my normal, I didn't do any of that. And so I ended up having to go back into the boot full time and it ended up being almost 10 full weeks before that thing was completely, I was totally rid of it. But we want to rush into, we don't like things that are not comfortable. I couldn't do my normal things. I couldn't do the normal activities that I was used to doing. I did not like that. So I wanted to hurry that through. We get in a big hurry to be done with things that we struggle with. And it could be anything. It could be an injury like that. It could be being sick. I don't want to be sick anymore. I don't want to be in the mire of depression or the quicksand of anxiety. I'm done. I'm done. I just want to get back to normal. That's what we like to say. So here's my pause for me, for you. In putting normal on the pedestal as sort of like the goal, like that's the thing. We just got to get back to normal and all things will be well. I think that often we can miss in the dark the things that only Jesus, who is so near to us, can show us in those moments. I referenced Job earlier. In Job 35.10, it says, But none says, Where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? I love that line, songs in the night, because it's kind of strange to think that something beautiful can come when you're in your darkest and most awful time. As I thought about this, I have thought about half a dozen examples in my own life where I have really felt this, where I have really experienced this songs in the night moment that the Lord has shown me. But I find that usually those moments and the ways that the Lord chooses to minister us are so specific that honestly, if even if I shared it with you, I don't know that it would resonate with you. I don't think it would be as meaningful. But I know for those of you, when you've had that moment with the Lord where you're in the dark and he has shared with you a song in the night, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And in, sometimes in our rush to get back to normal, if we're not paying attention, if we're not listening to the Lord and choosing to do whatever sorrow or trial or tribulation we're in well, and maybe we should talk about what that could look like too, but then we're going to miss that song that the Lord wants to share with us because we can only hear it from him and we can only hear it sometimes when it's real dark and when it feels like we're in those suffering moments. The suffering of Job is a tragic story to read. And I sometimes you wonder, why are things like this in the Bible? But I'm kind of grateful 
Job is in the Bible. As hard as it is, sometimes people are like, oh, please don't make me read Job. I don't know. There's a lot of good that you can get from that of watching how Job suffered. And one of the things I notice in it is you can't really tell from reading it how long that he suffered. I've read some commentaries and things where they try to guess maybe how long it was, but really you can't really tell from the text very well. And I actually just think sometimes when the Lord leaves things like that out, that might even be a reason. Because do you find that when you're in those seasons where you're suffering and you're you don't know when they end, right? You ask yourself, oh, when is this going to end? When is this going to be over? I think in some ways, maybe that's a little picture of Job, too, of how long is this going to go on? I don't know if he knew. He didn't. And even for us looking at it, it just feels like it's going on and on and on. It's a lot of chapters of suffering and back and forth. But that's kind of how our seasons like that feel. They feel long. But I love Job's speeches throughout that book. He's Everything's been taken from him. His body, even physically, he's suffering. But he never rejects the Lord. He never turns his back on God. And it's, there's a Spurgeon quote I love that says, a sick saint is often used by God far more than the most eloquent preachers. And I think of that when I read Job, because the things, how he responded to far more intense trial than I will probably ever go through or certainly have gone through. And yet how he responds is to continue to praise God. The thing we question sometimes when we are in those seasons is, well, why? Why? Why can't this be normal? Why can't it be how it used to be? Pause when you get to that question, because we have to remember that God is the one that is in control. He is the one that is sovereign. Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. That verse can either bring you a little alarm or a little like, well, that sounds so capricious, or it should be comforting in that the Lord does all he pleases, meaning the Lord does all these things. He is the one that's in control. He is the one that orchestrates our days, our good days, our bad days, our dark seasons, our illnesses, all of them, the normal and the abnormal. God in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. I love First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12. It says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand is to make great and give strength to all. Isn't that amazing? I love that passage. Yes, the Lord does do all and he does as he pleases. But remember that the Lord that we're talking about, oh, he is gracious and he is powerful and he's mighty. And it's his hand. That last part says he makes great and he gives strength to all. So the Lord chooses our seasons. The Lord knows and he ordains our steps. Paul is such a good example. You know, there's often pictures in the New Testament where they talk about the race that we won or the striving that we won. I love Colossians 129. It says, to this end, I also labor striving with all his energy working powerfully within me. But you notice what is Paul doing? He's laboring. He's striving. Those are words that are uncomfortable. Those are words that are work. Those are words that are probably not what we want as normal. 
But that's where Paul points us to is that we we labor and we strive. In 2 Corinthians 11.30, he reminds us that he says, if I must boast, I will boast of all the things that show my weakness. See, again, that's not what we want. We don't want to feel weak. No, we want to feel like we've got it all under control and everything's good. But Paul would tell us in 2 Corinthians, he says, if I must boast, I want to boast in my weakness. That race language that I just mentioned, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is so big, but and I'm going to read this in a couple different translations. But first, in the ESV, this is how it reads. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that word race in there, and there's several times in the New Testament where it's, you know, run the race, run it with perseverance and run to win the prize, we hear sometimes. But here in Hebrews, the word race is actually from a Greek word that where is the same word that we get our word for agony. Yeah, agony. And it's referring to struggle and conflict and opposition. That's what he's talking about there. That is what he, when he is saying in that part, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's talking about that we would run the agony, the, the striving, the conflict. We would do that part with perseverance. In the Amplified Version, I know it's a little bit longer, but I just love how it says this. In just the first verse of 12, verse uh, Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have become testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence, the appointed course of the race that is set before us. Boy, there is so much we could unpack in that, just that verse right there. First one thing that it points off is the sin that can entangle us. It's said that it's clever, that it ties us up and it wraps us up. And sometimes I think that sin can look like things where even just the, the coveting of the good old days. Wanting things to where we don't have to struggle and strive and be in the situation that we're in. That can be sin that entangles us. And instead, it says to run with patient endurance, steady and active persistence. And then the last part, it said the appointed course. Boy, sometimes we want to feel like the situation that we're in, like, oh, this just happened to us. But reference those verses we were talking about earlier about the sovereignty of God, that he knows what the plans were for us. And his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But he does all things well. And he knows. Hebrews 12 also goes on in verse 3. It says, to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted." I think that's an important part of, of that peace to remember, because it's giving us as the example of when we're going through struggle and trial and all of these things, it's saying the way in which we do that is not to necessarily look at the situation that we're in. And it's not really to look at the situation that we want, the days where we do feel better, the days when we don't have financial issues, the days where our kids are doing well, you know, the good days that we think we're looking for. It's not saying really look to those. And it's not saying necessarily look at all the problems that you're sitting in right now. But it tells us to look to him, to Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, 
Think of all of the hardship and all the things that Jesus endured for us as he was going to the cross. Even before that, just his life ministry, the idea of God, the creator of all things, becoming man, that right there is a hardship in and of itself. And that's what Jesus went through for 30 plus years and then ultimately suffers, is tortured, and is killed on a cross. That's hostility. That is suffering. And yet the way Hebrews says that he did is it says for the joy set before him, he endured all those things, despising the shame. That's the way it says that we should go through our time of hostility, our time of struggle and and all the things that we don't want that are in the normal we find ourselves in that we don't like and we want a new normal. A little bit of some practical things on what do we do with this? You know, earlier we talked about the exiles. I doubt that they viewed their life as very normal, right? Their whole world got turned upside down. I think it's interesting to see the instructions that the Lord by the prophet Jeremiah gave to the exiles. It's right before that famous verse that we love in Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, for I know the plans I have for you, that verse, but back up to the beginning of that chapter in verse four, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So they're headed, they've been trucked off. And it says, here's what I want you to do when you get there in this culture that you know nothing about, right? This is what he says in verse five, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And then it goes on in verse 11. And then that's the verse that says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. So, what I love about this is look how specific the Lord is about what he there to do. We forget that what those exiles were feeling like taken from their home and all the things that they knew. And yet they are given very specific orders of, hey, live life, do the next thing, do the next thing. That's an Elizabeth Elliott quote that one of my mentors, Judy Slaughter from Athey, she shared before when I was really struggling in a season of depression where you just cannot see through the fog. You just don't know what to do. And I remember her saying that, do the next thing. And I feel like that's a little bit like what the prophet Jeremiah is telling the exiles here. Do the next thing. Keep living. Do that thing. But you notice, though, it's not having you look out 20 steps down the road at what you are so desiring as your quote unquote normal. It doesn't say to do any of that. It's doing the very next thing that is in front of you. So for the exiles, that's what that looked like. It looked like them living life building houses. It looked like them, you know, planting gardens. That was what was before them, but to keep moving. But I also think it's important that we keep the perspective and don't have an illusion that whatever the next thing is that we're going to do or that next step, that it might be agonizing at times. Remember that verse or that word race in Hebrews 12, 1, where that word there is to agonize. We read earlier in Colossians where Paul's talking about striving and laboring. I find it interesting that Paul even does bring up running so much and running the race and he says to run it with perseverance and but he uses running. And I personally I find running very hard. I had my short stint with running, but I have seen the light. Running is not for me and running is it's difficult, right? He doesn't use walking as his metaphor, but he uses running. And then he tells us how we're to run, we're to run with perseverance. 2 Timothy 4:7 He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's the goal. Not normal. 
fighting the good fight and finishing the race. That's where we're striving for. I've got a bunch of scripture to fire off here as I try to wrap this up. And I and I know it's a lot, but I just feel like the power of the word is so helpful, especially when we are in these seasons where we're struggling to find what that normal looks like. First Corinthians 1031 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I mean, do you think about that? What that can mean doing all to the glory of God in there? I mean, sickness to the glory of God, depression, anxiety to the glory of God. You're single to the glory of God. You're married to the glory of God. You're in a waiting period. You know, all things to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Have you heard there's a common phrase right now when people say, uh, you know, just lean into that, lean into that thing. And it's kind of a Christianese thing. I have a little bit of an aversion to phrases that become trendy and then way overused. And this is one of those, you know, when they say just lean into that, lean into that. Here's what I like about this one is it's not a runaway phrase. It's not a phrase where you just need to avoid the struggle or the trial that you're going through. But they'll say, you know, lean into that, lean into that conversation or lean into whatever. But the thing I don't like about the lean in phrase is that if you lean into something, you also have the ability to tip right back out. What I like a little bit more, I think, is the picture not maybe of leaning in, but maybe leaning back into something. And maybe the picture for me is that you're not leaning into your struggle so much. You're not leaning into the thing that is causing you pain so much as you're leaning back onto the Lord himself. It's so difficult when we are in moments where we feel like the trial right in front of us is the only thing that we can see. I feel like there's this great picture of just leaning back. Even think of like, you know, the trust fall exercise. I personally can't stand those, but falling back, just totally surrendering to something. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, this is what it says in the NIV, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. I think that word, I chose the NIV there because that word in the ESV and in a couple other translations actually says acknowledge, but it is more of an understanding of, of acceptance is what it's saying there. In all your ways, submit to him. Accept it. Maybe instead of leaning in, we can kind of lean back and, and really just submit and surrender to what the Lord has for us in the hardship we're in whatever, however awful it may seem. And I don't want to sound insensitive to people's struggles because, man, I hear from some of you guys and the things that you guys have gone through in the last year, and it is hard. But shifting our focus away from what's in front of us, the disease that's in front of us, the depression that's in front of us, whatever the thing that's in front of us, and instead leaning back and really trusting the Lord, submitting to him, and he will make your path straight. These next verses are just reminders of the Lord's sovereignty in the situation that you're in. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord is the one that does that. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Each of these speaks to the fact that it's the Lord that is the one that organizes our steps. And we like to say that when we see that the Lord's just opened this door wide for this new job or whatever, and we can say, oh, I can just see how the Lord just established my steps. But usually we say that when it's something positive we're talking about. And yet it, I think it's equally true when we find ourselves in a season that is struggle. 
that is hard. The Lord didn't stop establishing our steps when we find ourselves in a hard time. But Romans 8.28 is such a great reminder because it says, and we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Isn't that encouraging? I find that so, I don't know, that, that verse, I've read it many times in different seasons of my life, but all things work together for good. Even the ones that we don't think are good. He is still working those things out for good. But the reality remains that you're going to find yourself in these hard times where you might be just, you know, ah, I don't want this and I want something different. Maybe it's even fear of the situation you're in. Man, there's a lot of that right now. I love Isaiah 41.10. If you're struggling with being fearful, write Isaiah 41.10 down. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Love that verse, Isaiah 41.10. The thing about the fear of our situations that we're in that can be so almost paralyzing to us is, it, again, it really takes all of our attention onto the thing, onto our, the struggle that we're in, onto the fear itself, maybe even. Oswald Chambers has a great quote. He says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And I think that's true. You know, if we put our focus so much on the things that we are fearing or the difficult situation that we're in, we're not fearing God. We're not doing Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and really trusting the Lord with all our heart and reverencing and submitting to his ways. Rather, we're focusing on our fears or our own situations or the things we want to get out of. When the Lord would say, hang on. He would say, I am with you. And he says, don't be dismayed. I'll strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So maybe this is just an encouragement to maybe change our vernacular a little bit about what is normal. What place does that even have? I don't see a lot of normal in scripture. And I think that the Lord calls us to something that is not average. The Lord calls us to walk with him. That's not average. That's not even normal, right? That is an amazing thing that the creator of all things loves us so much that he wants to help us. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to walk with us. That's what we want. But I hope this encourages you to, instead of looking and striving for what's normal, let's not make that the goal, but let's make Jesus the goal. Wait on the Lord. Don't strive and search and long for normal but just make Jesus your desire and your goal. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at avcreek.com.